How's that? Good evening. Oh, yeah, back me off a little bit, thanks. Thanks for the chance to share this space with you. Uh, I meant it in, uh, when, I, when I prayed it, um, sharing, sharing a room with God-called men and women, one of, the, one of the highest privileges we can have. Um, the folks who are sitting next to you and the folks who are sitting on the other side of the room from you are testimonies to God's grace at work in their lives. And so when you have a question about whether or not he's working, just look. Just look. In fact, the, the song that we sang, I'll Stand, the first time I heard that, I had gone to, um, to help my son in uh, Portland. About two blocks away, there was an inner city church with no air conditioning, and it was 80 degrees that Sunday morning. Um, hadn't heard the song before. And the couple, the woman who was playing the piano and the man who was leading the worship, they were heading out to China or heading out to, another, to an overseas mission. And so they sang, I'll Stand. Gave new meaning to the song for me because it was the first time, but it's been one of my, one of my theme songs since I've heard it. So thanks for, thanks for having us sing this night. What does it mean to follow Jesus? We have been working with the theme since August, or since August. Jesus said to his disciples that day, Come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they left their nets and followed him. True? True. Just making sure that, that you, you know that that's so. So it's been our theme for our chapel services. It's a topic, I think, that we Christians talk about from time to time. There's some pretty interesting things going on in the body of Christ these days about what it means to be a Christian and the kinds of things that Christians do or don't do. And I think, my guess is, is that uh, even though I don't know all, know, all, know all of you well, I do know that you're in the process of saying yes to Jesus, so I'm assuming that that's something you try to do every day, follow him. But what does it mean? Uh, back in 2007, a guy by the name of A.J. Jacobs published a book, an autobiographical book. The title of the book is The Year of Living Biblically, One Man's Humble Quest to follow the Bible as literally as possible. Now, A.J. Jacobs was not a believer. He was an agnostic. In fact, he said that he was a practicing Jew like an Olive Garden restaurant is Italian. Let's think about it a little bit. So that's, that's about how, that was about how deep his faith went. And so in his book, he describes all of the kinds of things that he did to try to keep pace, to try to fulfill what he understood to be biblical principles, biblical rules and regulations. Uh, I, I mentioned this morning one of the things that he tried to do was stone an adulterer, and that didn't work very well. Uh, but, his, but his hair got long, and he's in Times Square with his sheep, and you know he's wearing these clothes. And, 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 and so for this year, he attempted to do what he thought was biblical living. And when it was all over, he wrote at the end of his book, he said, I, I'm still an agnostic, but I'm a reverent agnostic. And he says, it's not an oxymoron. It's not a contradiction in terms, I swear. I now believe, he said, 
And I believe that, that whether or not there's a God, there is such a thing as sacredness. Life is sacred. The Sabbath can be a sacred day. Prayer can be a sacred ritual. There's something transcendent. There is something beyond the everyday. Now, it's possible that humans created this sacredness, but that doesn't take away from its power or importance. And so that was his conclusion at the end of that year. Somehow, I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind when he said to his disciples, come, follow me. Then just a couple of years ago, a woman by the name of Rachel Evans immersed herself in a similar kind of experience. The title of her book is A Year of Biblical Womanhood, How a Liberated Woman Found Herself Sitting on Her Roof, Covering Her Head, and Calling Her Husband Master. So many straight lines, and we'll just move right along. So, A.J. Jacobs began and ended as an agnostic. Rachel Evans began and ended as a believer. But in the middle of her year, she discovered some things about what it means to be a follower of Christ and what it means to be a woman who is a follower of Christ. One of her conclusions was this. And so, at least symbolically, the blood of Eve courses through each one of her daughter's veins. We are each associated with life, each subject to the impossible expectations and cruel projections of men, each fallen, blamed, misunderstood, and each stubbornly vital to the process of bringing something new, perhaps something better, to the world. We are each an Eve. Now, Maybe that's a little closer to what Jesus had in mind when he said to those guys that day, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, maybe. But I do think that he had, that Jesus had more in mind than just this wooden adherence to a set of rules. You see, if we follow the example of A.J. Jacobs and Rachel Evans, then all of us in this room will need to leave now, head up I-25, and go to the Big Bass Pro Shop and buy some fishing nets. You know why, right? Because when Jesus asked those guys to come follow me, they left their nets and followed him but you can't leave a net unless you have a net, and so we'll have to buy some nets so we can leave some nets and, and follow him. If we're going to do it literally. Now, I don't think that's what he meant. But it might. <laughs> it, you know, leaving, leaving nets in a bass boat might be a challenge for some people if that meant they had to choose between bass and Jesus. I mean, I know some folks who are married to softball, do you? Maybe it means that, but I think it means so much more. About 30, let me get to this. Oh, wait, yeah, this is what happened to her over the course of that year, too. So at the end of about 30 years after Jesus first extends this invitation for some men to follow him, there are Christians 
30 years later, who are wrestling with the challenges that come with following Christ. They're putting up with some of those things that are external, political hostility and religious opposition, cultural oppression. They were going against the flow. They were going against the norm. And they were going against the powers that be. And it happened every day on a regular basis. And then there were the internal challenges, the internal pressures. Disappointments, disappointment with fellow Christians. It happened then, not now, but it happened then. Confusion about who to believe and what to believe and what take to believe and which direction to go. And then the pressure that comes with living in a fallen world. Just to name a few. So between those external challenges and those internal pressures and, and things not being quite clear, they were being tested and tried, and some of them wondered whether or not that they were following the right person after all. And so the writer to the epistle, the writer of the epistle to the Hebrews, spent a long time reminding the Christians of who Jesus was and is. The writer compared Jesus to the saints and to the systems, and he said, Jesus is better. All in favor say aye. And then he reminded them, uh, reminded the Christians of some of the saints who had gone before and the price that they had paid to be their spiritual ancestors. Some of it was to reality check their sense of how tough it was, and some of it was to encourage them because it was as tough as those folks had gone through. And then in chapter 12, then in chapter 12, Jesus echoes, I think the writer echoes Jesus' first call to those disciples. He challenges those Christians that were reading the epistle, that were hearing the epistle being read to them, to say yes one more time to Jesus' invitation to come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. But instead of using that kind of language, the writer to the Hebrews uses race language, and it looks like this. Therefore, since we have so, uh, so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so e easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The word of the Lord. So let's go back to the first verse. We're going to suspend our time. The stage is set. The call's gone out. The invitation's been issued. The runners are ready to run, and all they have to do is run. Right? The followers are ready to follow, and all they have to do is follow. Correct? See, in the same way that the fishermen had to leave their nets that day to follow Jesus in that moment, the early Christians are being reminded that they have to lay aside every encumbrance and entangling sin if they're going to run the race that Jesus has in mind for them. They have to set aside every... Everybody knows what an encumbrance is, right? I mean, that's a word that we don't use very often. You know what it is? Obstacle, right? Something in the way. 
It's a great Scrabble word, by the way. So, if you can ever get it to spell it. So, so they have to lay aside every encumbrance, every encumbrance, every sin, and if they're going to stay in pace with the one who's already set the example, finished the race, and is waiting for them to complete it. You see, the implication here is that there are two yeses, or at least two yeses, in a Christian's life. The first one is the first time that we finally respond to Jesus' call and we say yes to him. For some of us in this room, it was the first time we ever heard about Jesus and we, when we wanted everything that he offered to us and we knew we needed him and we said yes. And others in this room, we'd known about him for a while and we had heard about him for a while and we were still trying to figure out whether or not we wanted him more than we wanted us. We finally said yes. And we began that journey, we began the race, we began to follow him. So there's that yes, but there's also this other yes. There's an ongoing yes. That hopefully that all of us in this room said to him yesterday. Because he called us to do something or to be something or to, or to live in a certain way or to respond in a certain way. And we said, okay, we will. And today the same kind of opportunity, the same kind of invitation came along and we said, okay. And tomorrow, he'll ask us again and he's hoping that we'll say yes. But what does the yes mean here? What does the following mean here? What does he mean when we have to lay aside every encumbrance and every sin that easily entangles us? Didn't we already leave those behind? Why do we have to do it again? Why do we have to do it now? So I want to be mindful of our time, but I need just a couple of minutes. So, so what kinds of things could be considered encumbrances to following Christ? Your turn. What kinds of things? Go ahead. Just TV and? Say again. Families and? A job and? And money and, I heard somebody say, school, <laughs> but not homework, just school. Okay, what, okay, what, what else? Facebook? Life itself, somebody else said? Health? Football? Hockey? Now, now we've gone from preaching to meddling now, right? Okay, so... Uh, so those are lit, uh, those are some encumbrances. What about entangling sins? Wow. Trials? What else? Selfishness? Pride? Addictions? Greed? We, we almost have all seven. Huh? Lust, right? Self? Now, if we keep going, we can make long lists of encumbrances to set aside, right? And we can make long lists of sins that we need to untangle ourselves from, right? But if we're not careful, 
what we can do with both of those lists are create the kinds of checklists that A.J. Jacobs tried to follow in his year of living biblically. Or that Rachel Evans tried to follow as a biblically living woman for that particular year. And it could be that we keep the list, but we don't follow Christ. So lay aside every encumbrance and every sin. No way that we can make lists long enough, nor keep the list that we make, right? True? Yes? Yeah, it's, it's true. Uh, ask, tell the person next to you that it's true because it's true. But it's something that we've been asked to do, so how do we qualify? Came across this quote from Susanna Wesley years ago, and it's been one of those things that's been kind of a marker for me. She was in, co- in communication in a letter with her son, John, and she said this to him. Okay, so trying to figure out how to live this this verse out. So take note. Whatever weakens your reason. Whatever impairs the tenderness of your conscience. Whatever obscures your sense of God or takes off off your relish for spiritual things. In short, whatever increases the strength and the authority of your body over your mind, that thing is sin to you, however innocent it might be. So let's just let's just soak here for a minute. Take this rule. Whatever weakens our reason, whatever impairs the tenderness of our conscience, whatever obscures our sense of God or takes off our relish for spiritual things, In short, whatever increases the strength and the authority of our bodies over our minds, that thing to us is sin. And the writer to the Hebrews says, get rid of it. Strip it off. Set it aside. It's not worth the exchange. Because you can't run the race and be tangled up in it. You can't follow if you're still wrapped in it. That's the answer to our question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? It means removing whatever it is that gets in our way of keeping in step with Him day by day by day. It means setting aside whatever whatever we want to focus on instead of focusing on Him. And it means saying yes to every invitation that Jesus extends to us to follow him. It means being willing to abandon it all for the sake of his call.
Stephen Curtis Chapman wrote a song along those lines, and I want us to use it to reflect on what God's calling us to do. Stand with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, my hunch is, is that everything that we've considered this evening is old news. Because these men and these women have been saying yes to you for a long time and, and their presence in this place is a witness to that. Perhaps this has just been a review. But if so, even so, help us to follow you in new ways because of what you've said this evening. And for those of us who needed to hear this word in, uh, in an unmistakable way, continue by your grace to call us and to help us shed everything that's in the way. And for those of us who needed to hear this, who have heard this for the first time, continue to illuminate. Continue to help our understanding. Continue to help us in our following. Because we know we cannot do it on our own. We know that you have set the example and have paved the way. But we also know that you're waiting for us to say yes. Help us to do so. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the reality of this promise that we can walk like you and live like you and follow after you. We give it all for the sake of your call on our lives. And all of his children said, Amen. Go in his peace.